Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, guys. Welcome. 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 And today we're going to be uh, talking about don't say his name too many times. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to actually count how many times we say his name in this podcast, but we are talking about the much anticipated. Finally, 2021 release of the supernatural slasher thriller, as Wikipedia defines it, Candyman. Woo! Candyman isn't real. I saw him. Candyman isn't real, Anthony. You know, you know what is real? Me, Anthony, me, this, this is a real. You don't understand. Okay. I, I, I will show you that. Okay. Candyman. No! Candyman! No! Don't say his name. Don't follow me. I don't know what's like a good like sound effect to make in announcing it. Like, do we do like bees buzzing? I think it's the bees. I think it's the. Yeah. I could put the bees back in because we did bees for the first Seaman movie. I don't think that's uh, what we should call it at all. <laughs> um, yes. Well, I think the bees are... The, are the sweet gentleman. Oh, my God. It's going to be the great. bees for the sea, man. <laughs> Beeman. I'm going to call him Beeman. Call <laughs> it B-movie. That's, <laughs> that's, that's also very... Also another horror movie. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, now I want to call it the Seaman. Wow. <laughs> this movie was directed by Nia DaCosta and written by Jordan Peele, Wynn Rosenfeld, and DaCosta. It was produced, Avi, by Jordan Peele's company, Monkey Paw Productions. It is starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen, my favorite from Black Mirror in the gaming episode. If you guys watched it in the latest season, he is in that episode. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Tiona Paris, Coleman Domingo, Nathan Stewart, Jared rounding out the cast. And Nathan is who I also like to call a mini Billy Porter. Did you guys get that watching him? He played the brother. The mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, could, I didn't think that, but you saying it, I definitely understand what the vibes you're getting. He immediately got on the screen and I said, why was Billy Porter not cast? I guess <laughs> <laughs> he was too busy being in Cinderella. Wally, just, <laughs> but he definitely could have played this role. They are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we're going to be talking heavy spoilers in this episode for the brand new Candyman, not the one from the 90s. We already did a podcast on that. You have to stop listening to this right now go listen to the first Candyman one watch it watch it as well 
watch these films and listen to the first one. Just listen to us. It's fine. We'll you everything that you need to know about this. So if you have not watched it, please watch it. And any trigger warnings, Jamie, that we should be aware of. Um, I mean, it's, it's slashy. So there is a lot of slashy here. Um, and a lot of like references to police brutality. Um, and I, uh, and I can't think of anything else particularly. Uh, harsh art critics. <laughs> is that as someone who's like so out I mean I guess we'll get into it but I'm just I just want someone to tell me like is that real is that really what like critics are like I, I can't I, I I have such a a fragile uh ego I don't think that I could handle anything like that absolutely not but then that translates into Broadway critics is what <laughs> I compare it to and sometimes sure. they are that ridiculous and crude for no reason whatsoever as to just be stuck up and snooty because they can't. So, I mean, just ask uh, M. Night Shyamalan um, as he portrays uh, writers and critics in all of his films. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay. So before we get into all the things, what's new? Have you watched anything? What is happening? There's so many things coming out. So, so, Okay. So we did watch something, but we really can't talk about it yet because you haven't seen it. And I in no way want to influence how you feel about this movie, but we did watch Malignant. Okay. And we will be talking about it on this podcast, but I'm just, I just want to recognize that Jamie and I sat down, went on HBO Go, HBO Max, excuse me, and watched Malignant. And we are going to cover it this season because I think there are a lot of things to talk about, uh, especially because we did um, three James Wan movies at this point. We should mm-hmm. definitely do his newest one. And we also all watched Dead Silence. And so we should definitely talk about this one. But that's all I'm going to say. Uh, I still I will say the only thing I'll say is I am absolutely still thinking about it. <laughs> I could have seen his facial expressions during that entire essay (laughs) about Malignant because the fact that you even brought up dead silence just sets the tone. Well, you suggested it. Because it's James Wan. And that was before I saw it. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Dead silence. I just knew it was one of his movies that he said that nobody watched. And then yeah, we, yeah. We watched. We watched it. I'm. <laughs> we watched that. We watched okay. Malignant. Great. Uh, um, I mean, does well. is there like true crime like crossover? Because we started only murders in the building. And oh, it's really I mean, good. not right. like not like horror, horror, but like you know, there's some like thrilling elements to it, but mostly comedic. It's pretty, it's pretty funny, especially, you know, as we are, I mean, Brian's the podcasting pro, but as we are fumbling through the process of creating a podcast, uh, it's pretty funny, like talking about, you know, people starting a podcast. Okay. Well, I'll have to check it out. I also- And true crime, if you like that. I don't like true crime. Interesting. And that's what everybody says, but I think that it's different because true crime is true. And we watch these horror movies and they're fake. They and are false. They, they are false. 
<laughs> and Hopefully. So, like, I know except that... Except for the C-man. Uh, except for the C-man, because apparently that's the thing. Oh, speaking of, uh, did y'all do that trailer promo thing of you say his name in your phone five times things will happen on your phone and it unlocks the it unlocked the second trailer for Candyman. did y'all do that no no because i'm not a crazy person <laughs> well i did it <laughs> as an insane person and it was super cool <clears throat> the effects that they had That's on that awesome they show your reflection and they also, they have like the, the name at the bottom and everything. And they, as you say it, they count how many times you're saying it and Creepy. also things start happening on your phone. So like the, your reflection kind of cracks and then there's like bees that come in and then there's like a blood splatter and then it unlocks the trailer and then you watch the trailer. It was really cool. Very good publicity thing that they did. That's spooky. I did, for publicity, I saw on TikTok that they had some kind of like pop-up and you go inside this room and it it's like a mirror and you say his name and then the mirror is actually like double-sided. So like someone jumps at you and the like the mirror is clear and like they try to attack you. And I was like, oh, that's so, I wish they did more of these pop-ups in uh, Philadelphia, please. Yes, absolutely. I would hands down be there and it would be great. Mm-hmm. Ah, fantastic. Well, I haven't watched anything, just waiting for other things to come out like Malignant. I'm very excited to uh, watch that. <laughs> yes. Seeing that you guys have watched that and being in the movie theater, uh, watching Candyman and seeing the trailers or other things that are coming out. There's this movie, I think it's... I don't know. I forgot what it was called, but it's the girl from Queen's Gambit that's in it. And then. Oh, last night in Soho. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seemed like an interesting concept. I would watch that. I read a, I read a review of it this morning that and just in terms they it's excellent. Um, uh, but they say it's more of a thriller and less of like a horror style. Um, if that's mm-hmm. what you're interested in, which, which is like totally fine. Um, but just to give you a little bit of an expectation setting. Okay, nice. I also found that in the midst of all the trailers, which Halloween was obviously one of them, that they played the trailer for the new Jackass movie because oh, they yeah. reunited. Oh, yes. And I was just like, I don't feel like this is um, appropriate for the movie we're about to watch, but okay, great. Jackass. Yeah. We, we've we seen that, that trailer in- now. Like, I feel like we've seen it dozens of times, but we've probably only been to the movies like three times in the last like two and a half months. I feel like we I've seen that trailer it. so much. Yeah, we saw it in front of Shang-Chi. We saw it in front of um, Nighthouse, another yeah. weirdo, weird reason for. Um, and then I guess Black Widow or uh, that was the only well, other one we saw. Oh, and Candyman, duh, right. Oh, no, we both said it once. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you counting it to in total or per person? So Nikisha's up to four right now, so be careful. I said, it, I said it once, and Jamie said it once. And again, this is me trying. I like we 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 all could be dead by now. I don't know, but this is, I'm just trying. Sure. Because let's be honest, in this movie, I had to count on my fingers every time they said it because they don't. The movie. We'll get into this. The movie doesn't build up the five times. He's like casually saying it behind her back, like into the mirror, and I'm just I don't. That, that's a whole. We'll get there, but we should do the plot first. Watch the plot. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Let's go in and give you the plot of 
the sequel, straight to sequel, Candyman. <laughs> it's straight to sequel, except for the other two that they ignore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Are you, are, you, are you ready? As ready as I'm ever going to be. Mm-hmm. And go. Okay, so obviously we said that this follows the events from the last movie. So we're opening up in a new situation in the 70s where the Candyman, the actual real person, is running around and giving kids candy. And the police come and they kill him because he's messing with all of the kids. And he thinks that he's the one that's like giving them razor blades and their candy, whatever. Skip to the now. We're still in the Caprini Green projects, but now it's been gentrified. And we have this couple living there. One is an art dealer and one is an artist. This artist is trying to get his... His work out there. He comes upon the folklore of Candyman and makes his piece around that. And he puts a mirror up. And so now he has people saying Candyman. And as people say Candyman, they die. And <laughs> as I'm saying it now, and probably, you know, y'all just look out and watch and see if Candyman is going to be behind me in this, in this uh, frame. <laughs> So slowly but surely we realize that this artist has an actual connection with Candyman because he was the baby that Helen rescued out of the fire from the 90s movie. And so now Candyman wants to bring him into the fold and have him be the one that kills everyone. And that ends up happening because Candyman gets him. He played with fire and now he has honeycomb all over his body and he has a hook for a hand and he's killing people. Meanwhile, his artist dealer uh, girlfriend is getting arrested because they think that she's an accomplice, but then she calls his name and he comes and kills the police before she can get uh, arrested and they live happily ever after because now the artist is the new Candyman and yes, I'm going to end it there. <laughs> Yay. Yay. You have Yay. 10 seconds left, but um, that was good. I, did you even mention the guy in the laundromat? I literally was about to say, I, I realized I did not mention <laughs> I but we'll get into that when we discuss because how does all of this connect anyway? Let's, let's decipher, let's connect the dots because I need assistance. let's let's go right into it what's confusing you okay did you like it oh yeah let's do that good idea i'll I'll shut up great great great. i had such high expectations for this movie it was delayed for so long everyone was excited about it we have a black female director we have jordan peele's company attached to it slash she also wrote it so i'm thinking like get out level if you're going to remake something it's going to be fantastic and i was honestly so disappointed when i watched this mostly because we always talk about rules and i feel like a lot of the times the rules were not clear as far as who Candyman is after because there are moments where he is called and I'm not even talking about like the real like the people who were imposters of him but there were black people who called him and then were killed but they were setting it up as Candyman is the one that's helping the people the area not get gentrified so we call on him so that he can kill the people that are gentrifying the area I'm confused and even watching, I watched this movie twice in theaters. First time just watching it for the experience. And second time really watching it to get any of my questions answered. And I'm curious to see how you guys felt about it. But 
I, the acting was, was pretty good to me, but I just felt like the story as a whole was really a letdown from my expectations, but I probably also could have set my expectations very high where others might not have and might have enjoyed it because their expectations were lower. So what do you guys think? My expectations were also pretty high. I did like it. Um, but I do like, there was definitely some points that I was like a little bit confused and like, didn't quite get, but I mean, most I I'd been listening to some podcasts and reading different critiques on this movie. And a lot of what I had seen that like people didn't like was they thought that this film was like super didactic. And I feel like, um, Brian and I have been like talking about differences between the original and this one, but I, I mean, it is a different film. It's like both a sequel and also kind of like a reboot. And so I also most of the like critiques that I've been listening to on podcasts have been largely from white people. And so I'm not bothered by the fact that like this film is like explaining what the point of all of this is, which is gentrification. And so like, like that, that being the, the way in which like things are, happening essentially. Um, I, I mean, yeah, if anything, I, I think like it does need to be made more explicit for some folks. And so I didn't find that to be problematic. I think where I was getting a little bit more confused, well, there was elements that were definitely brought up in the movie that like, they never really address again, like the art gallery girlfriend, uh, like her father committing suicide and like never ever addressing that really like once, maybe twice. And then the part where she is like offered this really cool job, but then it's like not really about her. And then I'm like, wait, why are we focused on her career? I'm, I'm really confused about like why this is important now. Um, so like those things just didn't seem like fully fleshed out. And then the laundromat owner, um, and like his experience of his, his sister, I I think it was his sister getting murdered near the end. And like, I didn't really understand like what the point of that was because like it was already established that, that his version of Candyman was not actually the person who was putting razor blades in the candy. So like, there's just things that felt incomplete, but overall I still really enjoyed it. Definitely not as scary as the first one. Also like want to emphasize that, like really there were parts that like, I think I was nervous in the beginning, but then when I realized like, this isn't really like a, like super hard jump scare type of movie, I kind of like calmed down a bit and just like kind of kept staying engaged in what was happening. But, um, yeah, yeah, I I I liked it, but I can see where like, you know, there's definitely some some issues. And I just want to add on to that really quickly and then Brian, we can share your experiences, but in what you mentioned about people talking about what Candyman represents and all these things, I just think that it didn't do a good job of playing either side of it. Mm-hmm. To me, it was either this is going to be a sequel and it's just going to be a slasher about Candyman and that's what it is. And that can be its own entity like the first one, mm-hmm. or we are going to talk about all of the social, economic, political, whatever's about it. And then that be the whole thing. I think they were trying to 
make it a sequel when they could have just made it a reboot and made it its own idea, but it was trying to connect some of the things. And I think that's where, for me, it fell short. It it should have been just one or the other. They were trying to do too much. And in that, there was no clarity. And in that, that's Mm -hmm. where you get a lot of like the plot holes and, and things not coming around full circle. And you're wondering, well, what was the point of such and such? And why is the focus of this? Because they were they were trying to meld two things when it should have just either been one or the other to me. But hmm. I I actually feel the opposite where I think it should have been more sequel, less reboot. Cause I was really engaged in the beginning of the movie when they when they're telling Helen's story and like pulling like pulling that stuff into it because I think part of it is the fact that like that takes away from like what the real story is, which is like part of the point. And like, you know, if a white woman is like, you know, killed or, or something happens to her, like that's where the emphasis goes to. And so like, I think using that as the thing to like then kickstart the story and like, what's the real story I think is effective. Um, but I, I think like some of the reimagining of Candyman, I think was not super great or like problematic. I don't know if it's like explicitly, stated but from some of the things that I've been reading and hearing it's like implied that there's some kind of like cognitive impairment that the the person who is like the candy man that you see for most of the movie like the original guy with the hook who's offering the candy like that there's like something potentially like you know um some kind of like developmental dis uh, delay or something. And so I I don't, I feel like weird about that because like, was there a a purpose to that? Like, what was the purpose of that? And, and, and like finding that kind of problematic and didn't know why they needed to like include that piece into it. Um, So in terms of like a reimagining, I'm like, "Eh, I I feel like you could have done like a a better job with that. Um, But yeah. So I'm saying it it could have been either or like have it just an exact sequel and the sequ- and in the first one, even though there are like things about gentrification, that really wasn't like the the fullness of it. It was still like a slasher movie mm-hmm. at its core. And this one, to me, if it was gonna, it should have just been a sequel with slasher at its core, or just redo the whole thing with a new idea. Sure. Thing like. So, I mean, I agree. Like, I do like the fact that you have the story of Helen and you can carry that over to start it, but just make it a continuation, like, of what has been going on and have it be a slash movie at the core mm-hmm. instead of whatever other pieces they were trying to add, because then it gets muzzled again with the rules of who is he killing? What are the rules? What are what are the rules? The only rule is you say his name <clears throat> and he comes, but there are people who were living in Caprini green with the laundry guy and mm-hmm. his sister is, is dead. She's not gentrifying the the place. So right. then why, why are they killed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's why it's just like, I don't understand if you're going to really harp on the economic thing and the gentrification thing, then make the rules clear about who, who is dying and why and what his purpose is. Mm-hmm. Or just make it a slasher movie and everyone is fair game. Right. That's- yeah. Yeah. Like the high school scene yeah. was also weird. And I get that it's like showing how it's spreading, but I was like, it, it really, that was like, 
kind of pointless in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's like a, it's like gory without even seeing the gore. You're just hearing like the schlop of like <laughs> buckets of blood falling on the ground. I don't know how else to d- better describe the sounds that they make, but like schlop is what came to mind. Um, but other than that, like, I don't know. I just didn't really see what the point of that was other than to show that, you know, it's continuing to like, spread out further and further, but that felt even more disconnected from, I think the original plot. Absolutely. Point. No, I, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Brian, your initial thoughts as we've already like <laughs> talked, talked about everything. No, it's, it's interesting <laughs> because <clears throat> I, I like this movie. Um, I don't think that I also had high hopes for it, but I, I, I definitely want, I felt similarly to Jamie that once I realized that it wasn't going to be like bite my nails, scary. Um, and it was just kind of like storytelling, like, like horror storytelling, if you will. Um, I kind of let my guard down a little bit more. Um, I think that, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff that I want to respond to in there. I think the first thing is that correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all of the victims in this movie until the end are white people, right? I think so, except for like in the past with the laundromat sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, and all the people that he kills are people that are basically appropriating his name for another reason. So it's the art director and um, the girl, it's the, um, it's the uh what's the uh scene was so weird and cringy yeah it's cringy it was them and then it's the uh it's the uh art critic critic, yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the girls but the black girl survives Mm -hmm. um i think it's trying to say like and then it's all spreading this appropriation of the name is spreading and i think that has a lot to do with the concept of that they mentioned a couple times where the the seaman name passes from generation to generation based on their George Floyd, based on their, you know, th- their whatever's happening. Because, you know, the, the man coming out of the walls who was killed by the police officers, like, that's that generation's. And then, like, there's another one. And, and, and the police officers murder, um, I don't even remember his name, um, uh, Anthony, well, the main character. And, and, oh, Anthony, Anthony, yeah, duh, of course, he's the baby. Um, kill Anthony, <laughs> and and they want and and the idea was is that the laundromat guy was trying to create a new seaman because he wanted that story to live on. Uh, and I'm still confused about how that would help Caprini Green. I guess, I guess, I guess the idea is if there if there actually were murders. In Caprini Green, it would lose value, but they never really go into that, obviously. Um, a, a shot that I appreciated is that the laundromat was in between like two coffee spots, like to show the gentrification. Um, <laughs> so I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, however, I do think that that whole concept 
I do think the movie is didactic and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't mind that it's spoon fed here and there. I do think that the things that should have been talked about a little bit more um, were those pieces bringing all of that like symbolism together. Um, Cause I think that was a little bit convoluted. Um, so I'll say that about that. Also um, I, I think that this, I think Jamie actually said this, so I'm stealing her thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to attribute it to her. Um, this feels like Only a first, good. this feels like a first draft. Some of the lines are very basic. Some of the plot is very basic. It feels like they had a really good concept. The one that I had just previously mentioned, like the idea that like the, the title of Seaman gets passed down from person to person. Um, and, and those are the stories because at the end they wanted the girlfriend to live because they wanted her to tell the story because you need someone, a survivor to tell the story, blah, blah, blah. Um, so all of that. And that's why he called the cops because he wanted the cops to gun them down. Similarly to the end of uh, um, the new Saw movie, where it's trying to get that like, like the end of the movie is trying to get that like visceral reaction from you of like the cops shooting a black man. And then, um, you know, all, all of that is truly, and the whole movie is saying that didn't come out of the blue. That whole movie is saying that, I mean, both are, but they're not done too well. This one better than that one. Um, <coughs> so I think that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is the slasher moments aren't even that good. Um, and even that they're artistic, but they're not scary. Like when, he, when she, when the when the critic is being killed while like we're looking into all of the like the like the nice white people building if you will um um that was really cool to watch but like it wasn't scary like she's you know, that's fine something i did like a lot is that at first the seaman is only in reflections like mm-hmm. you can only see him in reflections like I think that was a super cool concept that I think they could have done way more with in terms of fear and excitement and all of that. Um, um, I think the acting was good. I really, really do feel like this movie was edited down from um, a longer movie that really fleshed out the girlfriend's character. I really Mm -hmm. think that there was a reason why we're Listen, what this movie obviously is doing is it is setting up the fact that she is empathetic to Anthony and sympathetic to Anthony because her father was also a tortured artist who, 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 who killed himself. And, um, and, uh, I guess the reason why they only want her for a father is for that narrative. Maybe the subplot there is that they're like, they're appropriating her father's death and she's choosing not not to use it to further her career. Whereas Anthony is subconsciously pulling from his background into this seaman exhibit and not really knowing what it means. Like there's, there's again, it's super convoluted. It's under the surface. And I think there's something more there that would be super powerful. Um, the movie just doesn't get across that way. And I think that's a, I don't think that's necessarily in the direction. I think it's an editing, like what they edited out and like, this the script doesn't feel too as advanced as i'll say this the i like the first one is super (coughs) convoluted the first one like we talked about it on the episode but what it's doing seems more interesting um than what this one is doing i don't know i I still i'm being critical of it i still very much enjoyed it i was engaged in it Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 really sharp. I think it's the 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 eye on this is beautiful. The cinematography, all of that. I think Nita Costa is like 
it gets me excited to see her Marvel movie um, mm. because I, she just has such a vision and she like, <laughs> it just, unfortunately we had very high expectations for this character, for this world, for the scare level, for the horror level. Does yeah. that, mm-hmm. does that, does that track? Does everything I said make sense? Yeah. No, that's Definitely. exactly it. It's, it's doing two things and it should pick one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I miss like the, like, the elements of the kind of like hypnosis effect that uh, mm-hmm. that happened in the first film of like, you know, like kind of her experience of being gaslit in a way. But like, I don't know, Anthony, Anthony's not having that experience and he's having these things where like he he literally sees himself as the seaman. And so like there's something like that feels like a really big change that I I'm not entirely sure like I don't know makes sense for if he's supposed to be the original victim then like why would he also be like a version of the candy man and like that that's confusing um but in terms of like the first round like the first draft of a script um the art critic's name is Clive Pribbler I just need everyone to like Clive Clive Privler because the story, the original story is by Clive Barker. And this is, this is a movie about privilege. (laughs) Privler. (laughs) That's, that's the best they could come up with. Mm. Um, Also the, it's something that like really annoyed me to no end when I found this out after, but the scene in the, um, in the art gallery where, like Clive Pribbler is the, is one of the first victims. The part where, uh, the seaman is cutting the, um, Project- the projector screen is CGI'd. Like, why would you do that? Was that less expensive than someone like taking a pair of scissors and cutting it? Like why that just seems so silly. I don't know. I I'm like so over CGI and like what happened to good old practical effects? Like, like something as simple as like cutting a piece of paper. Right. Like just, just cut the paper. It's fine. Right. But it's just weird. CGI. So it wasn't even a paper to cut. <laughs> It was all just, our imagination was all green screen. Well, okay. So as far as mental health goes, it speaks on this, but I just want to know your thoughts of if it did a good job in portraying some of these things. We talk with the girlfriend about her traumas and seeing death. And in this movie, we watch her, experience the death of her father but also walking in on her boss and the the priv, priv, what is what is his name his last name Clive Clive Privler <laughs> walks in on uh, at Privler's <laughs> dead body and now she has her boyfriend in her arms and he is being shot and so in the movie they kind of portray her as a she just works hard. She's always working. She's always like making a schedule, doing a things. And like, do you think that it's a good coping mechanism for someone who has experienced that much? Like, is that fair as a fair representation of someone? Like, we don't know if she's done the work, you know, in the background mm-hmm. of her story. We don't know if she's like gone to therapy or whatever, but obviously it's something that is still a trigger because her brother even mentions 
the fact that she can't be like the savior for all the tortured artists, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. trying to save quote unquote, her, her boyfriend who is a reflection of her father. So I don't know. I just want to know your thoughts of how you uh, felt about that particular storyline, if that lined up or made sense at all for you. I mean, again, like I, I wish there was just like more information and like more context to have because like, just felt like so much was missing, but like, <clears throat> I mean, sure. Uh, like in some ways, you know, you, distraction and avoidance as a defense mechanism to not deal with like the hard shit, like is not, (laughs) that's not unusual. Um, and, and I guess like, yeah, like it wasn't for me, it wasn't clear. Like, is she trying to like save this, you know, tortured artist because she couldn't with her father, like no idea at all because there's just not enough information about her. (laughs) And like her character to, to know, but like, at least, you know, the idea that she could just be like, you know, like girl bossing it up to, to avoid dealing with or thinking about like all the trauma that she's experienced. I mean, even like immediately, like her attitude immediately after Anthony dies and she's arrested is like, I don't know. It, <laughs> there's the part where she's like thinking in her head, like, Oh, I'm going to look in the mirror. I mean, none of this is said out loud, but like when you see like the gears turning, it's almost as if like everything that just happened, like didn't happen to her and already there's like so much distance. And I don't know if that's like, because she's in shock that doesn't really scream like someone in shock to me of like just being so like, disconnected from what's happening in the moment, but more like she's like actively thinking like, I'm going to summon him and he's going to murder them all. And like, I don't know it, like that reaction just didn't seem realistic to literally what just happened with like him dying in front of her. Yeah. So do you feel like any part of her mental health journey was necessary for this movie like could we have done without it because of lack of information or would we have liked more of it because there could be bits that could fit in to carry the story but we just needed more information which would you prefer I mean I I guess more more information for me um because otherwise like otherwise then I feel like she wasn't a well thought out like character (laughs) they like gave her like some stuff like just enough to like be a person but I don't know. It, it just felt like not helpful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, my favorite part of this movie was when we finally got to uh, Mr. Todd at the end, it, like Absolutely. CGI, C- like CGI. I mean, I just wish he, I just wish it was, I wish his voice was in it more. I wish he was in it more like yeah. that, that. I thought the concept was super cool of like the, the, the mantle being passed down based on what the most recent, like, like horror was. However, mm-hmm. that doesn't really track with the first one either because it's still Daniel Robitaille. Um, but, uh, and like this took place still after the 70s when this other man um, was considered the Seaman. Uh, so, like, that's a little bit inconsistent. But I guess Robitaille would come back because, like, I guess subconsciously we're supposed to believe that, like, she was the reincarnation of his love or looked like her or whatnot. Or I, I don't know. We're still convoluted on that. Um, but yeah, I just think there was way more to be done with her. We know that she's a wonderful actress. So it's nothing, it's not her. Um, mm-hmm. I wish they'd given her more. And then like that, that last moment should have been more 
gratifying for you as the audience. Like it should have been her way of just being like, you know, like this is my turn to get back at them or to save this or to bring him back or whatever. And it didn't really feel like any of those, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Felt forced. It was like, you knew it was coming because of the setup with the police officer being like, okay, so this is what actually happened. Or we can say this and you can go to jail. And so then she's like, okay, well, let me see my face in the mirror and I'll just summon this. Like, it just seemed like you're Is that like written really poorly. Like very much, very much. So in my, okay. because it, it just gives it, it kind of gives it a way of, you know, what is going to happen. And so I think that's where I particularly, particularly lost the essence of, or the gratification, like you spoke on Brian of at the end, her calling the name because it was poorly set up and then you get the line at the end and you're like, okay, well, I also saw this coming because we're an hour and 15 minutes in. It's about to end. Everybody's dead <laughs> except her. So what's going to happen? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to kill all these police officers. You know, it just, I, it, I don't think it was set up well. <laughs> I was like, is that how like humans talk? Like, is that like the way that that cop was speaking? Like, is that how people talk? I mean, I guess it goes to like how the art critic was speaking. Like, is that how like humans talk? I mean, as somebody who like knows a thing or two about human behavior, <laughs> I'm asking other people, is that how humans communicate? Cause like that, that also felt like kind of first drafty of like, this is the idea that they had of what they were going to do, but then they like forgot to go back and update it. Or even the, even like you said, the cringy moment with the art guy, Privler and the girl, <laughs> that entire scene, the people oh, yeah. like that, what was, what were they even saying? And it wasn't even like, Oh, they're drunk and whatever like that. Uh, there was no setup for that. Mm-hmm. Just poorly written. And they had, they tried to <laughs> with the best that they had. <laughs> I mean, I would forgive a lot of the writing if those slasher scenes were excellent. Like mm-hmm. if those scenes were better constructed, scarier, not, I'm not even saying bloodier, but like if they had, if those, if these death scenes had been way more memorable in a thrilling way, mm-hmm. like they are in the first one, even just from like him jumping out the window, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I remember it or like, all of the blood at the very end of the movie where she kills her, her duty head husband, like, <laughs> or, um, uh, even like her friend in the, in, in like, all, there's just so many moments in that first one that I definitely remember. Whereas I remember these because they're artsy and not because they like, <clears throat> they, they, I got a visceral reaction out of me, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, even the, supposed jump scare where the girlfriend gets kidnapped and she's running in the dark and she drops her cell phone, you know, as the light as she's trying to get out of Mm. Mm -hmm. the warehouse thing. Yeah. And so we have like, you know, and we always talk about setting up the jump scare and whether you're using like shadows or slowing down frames or whatever the case may be. And so this one, you have like darkness and so you know that something is coming. You're waiting for it to come. But even when it does come, it's just a blurry mixture of like lights and them fighting. So it's not even, you get the, the jump from the silence to noise, but it also, it doesn't match the picture that's happening. And mm-hmm. so then you're just 
looking at confusion of like lights flashing and people fighting and, you know, the frames are everywhere and, or the picture is everywhere. And then just like loud noises. So it doesn't, it just. Yeah. <laughs> I did like some of the fact that like Candyman is just like randomly in um, mirrors in the background. Um, if you're like, if you like, if you're like Mike Flanagan looking around for ghosts and stuff like that, like you see the seaman in some places you're supposed to see him. He's not hidden like, like in a Flanagan TV show or something like that. Um, but I appreciated that. I just feel like it happened a lot. Like it, I never felt like it was a jump scare. It just like, it was the same trick over and over again. And like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're moviegoers are even though people are idiots moviegoers the recognize patterns so yeah. like and you and you you get the jump scares by breaking those patterns by what do you say with james wan like it's that it's that it's it's subverting expectations for what you think the scare is going to come from but this one we always knew the scare was going to come from like a reflection double take or something like mm. that and 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 I, I don't know. I, again, I actually, I know we're breaking this down and it sounds like we're being super negative on it, but like I did, I did enjoy, like I had a good time for an hour and a half in the movie theater. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say I didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I will say on that uh, mirror jump scare, the continuous same scare throughout the whole movie. It was even different in the first one because it wasn't just his reflection. Like he was coming out of the mirrors and that never sure. one time in this movie, it was all just either the reflection you're seeing it or like the critic lady we're just seeing, which I agree with you, Brian, that was a beautiful shot. And I wrote that down in my notes that I did appreciate that uh, zooming out and, and seeing all of the nice buildings and this lady just dying, but you don't, you don't ever see him actually killing, like physically killing a person. It's always just mm-hmm. the aftermath or he's invisible, you know, and people are mm-hmm. just, running around and doing things and yeah it just doesn't work for me but i will say because i feel like i'm being super super negative about this movie (laughs) some of the things that i really appreciate about jordan pill is that he does write for a particular audience and he puts little things in there where it's like for black people and you're just like yes i appreciate this and one of the moments that i just laughed both times i saw it was when the girlfriend was trying to look in the laundromat for Anthony and she opens the door and there's this <laughs> case and it's dark. And she was like, Nope. And closes the door and is like, okay. yes. <laughs> so it's just, that, I loved that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like, of course, because every person in the theater is like, duh, don't go down there. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not going down there. You know? So it's like, <laughs> we're, we're in on it. It's like, we're telling you no. And she's like, yeah, I'm listening to you. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, and I know that this is like, this is probably the next step up, but even just the lines where like the brother is like, you know, uh, a black person should not be doing this. Like, like, like that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I appreciate all of that. And and also like as a white man sitting in a movie theater, watching this movie about gentrification and like, um, you know, it definitely got me thinking and made, made me uncomfortable at some points. It, it was supposed to make me uncomfortable. So like its effect was very effective. Its intent was, was there and, and got it. And, and I appreciated that. Absolutely. Especially when they're talking about gentrification, when they're talking about like, like, you know, this concept that, you know, it started with the seaman as a slave, David Ro- Daniel Robitaille as a slave. And then, and then, you know, basically like all these versions of Candyman are like 
slave oriented even though it's not just like straight up off the boat from africa this is terrible type of slave it's 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 slave to the economy it's slave to um just like social justice it's slave to all these things and i i definitely appreciate again the concepts in this movie are so big and there's so much to do and then um on the flip side of that like i just don't know the intent was there i don't know if the execution was the best right and and going along with that, because they touch on it maybe just twice, but the fact that at the beginning they are talking about the gentrification of, of Cabrini Green and the sister's uh, boyfriend's boyfriend, <laughs> the white guy with the curly hair, was saying like, oh, like y'all are like this building. Like they gentrified this building and you guys moved in. Like we're talking mm. what you actually contributed to quote unquote very loosely, but you know, and the fact that the critic was mentioning something about you people. And he was like, you people. And she was like, yeah, artists, artists are the ones that are benefiting from gentrification because they're moving into these buildings and you know, whatever, which even though the comment was sly and she wasn't like accurate, really accurate in what she was saying, but (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? That line was wild. <laughs> but it's just of like the fact that sometimes and speaking as speaking as a black person, how you can contribute to a system that you try to dismantle, but in ways you are still contributing to something. You know what I'm saying? Not in the fact of this horrible woman who is awful is like actually talking about like black people and shit, like whatever (laughs) saying like, Uh. it's always nice to have those little like nuggets of we're going to give you all aspects of everything and not, you know, specifically just one sided of, of things is all that Mm -hmm. I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with God. People are like, is this a real human? (laughs) I just say, oh man, it's insane. Yes. Any other thoughts about the human behavior? I I have one. So he gets stung by, he gets stung at the, at the um, halfway through or, or the beginning or whatever. And then like, Kennedy, like his arm is so bad and doesn't think to like go to the doctor at all at any point like <laughs> that was wild um, but I guess like talk about the behavior and the mental state of someone who like he became very obsessed he became very um, driven and purposeful. He, but he didn't really know they. He didn't know what he was doing until his mom cleared everything up in in the second act of the movie. Um, and then, like all, all the while, like he's transforming into mm. something else. Like, can you talk a little bit about like the mental state of somebody at that point, whether they're becoming obsessive, whether they are like physically or even mentally transforming into like getting into a zone or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about like that obsessive behavior in a way or the, like of an artist or of an individual? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that also, but like on the flip side, cause I'm curious about 
both of your perspectives as like somebody who is creative. But I I mean, I think like, you know, there's something to be said about folks who might identify as having like addictive personalities. So to speak and like getting really, really, really into something where it's like all consuming and like nothing else matters. And that's all you're, you're focusing all of your attention on. I mean, I can't speak to like, you know, being stung by a bee and then half of your body turning into a beehive, but, but like the, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so, but I, I mean, I think that there is something to like, you know, people getting very wrapped up and, and, you know, where on one end of the spectrum that could be like, I'm really in the zone and I'm like, you know, accomplishing something I'm producing, I'm working towards these goals that I have, but where on the flips, like, you know, the line that then can be crossed is like, where does this take away from like other aspects of your life and and now like all you have is this thing because everything else has fallen to the wayside and and like yeah like where what does that leave you with and and how can that potentially be really unhealthy and and harmful but i am curious about like from from the perspective of someone creative like have there been like experiences that you've had or situations that you've been in where like you you feel this like you know you're like really connected to something that you're working on or working with that like feels very like bigger than you. And you're really like throwing yourself into it. I'll speak on not necessarily throwing myself into something, but wrapping my identity up in my career. Mm. And literally what I talk about in therapy all the time, because we as artists are so focused on what is our next job? What is our next job? What is our next job? Who are we if we don't have a job Hmm. in the field to where everything else falls by the wayside by default because we're not thinking about cultivating our relationships with friendships or significant others or whatever. We're not thinking about self-care. We're not thinking about prioritizing ourselves in general. We're thinking about what can we do to continue to have this career that has become our identity? And if we don't have this career, then who are we, you know? And I think it's something that a lot of artists deal with and something that is hard to, hard to realize, especially I think in this pandemic, because everything had to stop, we had to assess mm-hmm. <laughs> who we are as individuals. And it's something for me, it was like, because <clears throat> I was always working towards having a career. I never really stopped to think like, well, what do I even like to do? <laughs> like, as sure. a, what do I, you know, what are, what are my interests? What are things that will make, you know, give me some serotonin or dopamine outside <laughs> work? Because the work is not always going to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so how can I deal with that? How can I reconcile that with myself and and realize that I am a person outside of this and this is just what I do as a nine to five and out mm-hmm. of that, like, I, what else is there in life? Because there is more, you know, than mm-hmm. chasing after the next thing, the next job, trying to fill up your resume with all kinds of things. But so I can totally. agree or I can understand him in his wanting to like, he had a successful like beginning of his career. And now he's trying to make a comeback because he's wrapped up his identity in 
his career. So that can allow you to be obsessive about it. And, and it, however it manifests is however it manifests. And for him, it was turning into a candy man. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I'll also say like, when you're creating something, writing it, whatever, like there comes a point where like, you're struggling, like you're struggling to like, th- I think of it as like scissors, like cutting wrapping paper, like you're trying to get it started. But then like, once you kind of hit that thing and you can glide with the scissors, like there's something about like, you feel like you're not writing something anymore. You feel like you're just like the vessel that it's passing through. And I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about like, I'm not like, because you're also so afraid of like writer's block or artist block or whatever you want to call it, that when you're in this flow, you do not want to step away for one second because you can lose it in one second. So like, I understand his obsessive nature of just like wanting to draw all these things and like get this yucky feeling or whatever he was feeling out of his system, because that's how some people just like get things out of their system. And I'm not saying that it's a, like, you still should go to therapy, but like, (laughs) like, like it's like, you're passing something out. Like there's something like an idea or a concept that you just want to get out into the world. And then like, you can potentially like then then start to like do the work to get past it. Um, If it's, if it's something subconscious and, and like potentially like devastating that he was trying to, to work through. Whereas like, well, like there was one time I like didn't go outside for a week because like, I just like had this idea and like, I just had to write it out and it was just like coming. It was just like coming out of my hand. Like it was just very, but you just have times like that. Um, And then there are other times where you just like, okay, I can write for maybe 20 minutes today or something like that. And I'll just get something out. It'll make me feel good, but it's not, it's not the thing that I know that is inside me that I'm trying to get out. So I I totally understand that. But like if I, if if I was turning into a honeycomb, I would go to the doctor. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the day that's the accurate thing uh, one last thing about just human behaviors because i'm curious uh, your reaction to how the girlfriend was reacting to anthony and him saying like Candyman is real and him kind of slowly slipping into madness before he actually got you know all of the honeycombed. body honeycombed <laughs> it's a verb now Right, honeycombed. Do you think her reactions were warranted? She was really kind of dismissive in a way, but she already experienced like the tortured artist. So I don't know. How did you feel about her reacting to him trying to like tell her things? And it was also nice seeing like the male be the one that's like trying to get everyone to get them to believe them because that's like mm-hmm. a male trope in a lot of different. Sure. That's <laughs> yeah. a good point. So, yeah. Also, he's also, I just want to throw in, he is very hunky. We knew that. Oh yeah. Because isn't there that part where he's in the library and the girls like, like yes. can't function because he's so hot. That was the most realistic part of this movie. I agree. That <laughs> his smile. That's fantastical. But <laughs> yeah, how did you feel about his girlfriend's responses to him trying to explain himself? I mean, I, yeah, like I think that there's something to like her being really taken aback by how he was presenting in as a parallel to her father and like being and like rejecting that because like 
that was too overwhelming and, and like too close to home. Um, but I mean, I think also like for the sake of the movie, like the way that he was communicating in that moment was making it really difficult for her to like be supportive. Like when he picks up the thing and like breaks the mirror, like that's going to look like escalated behavior that like, as a, I mean, as a woman in a space with a man who's like breaking objects around you, like that is a red flag for like an unhealthy relationship. So it's understandable from even just that perspective to like, want to hightail it out of there because it's like, I'm now potentially in a really unsafe situation because of like him breaking things around me. So like, I think that that makes it really difficult for her to like give space to what he's talking about. Um, but he, I mean, he was just being so weird in a way that like, didn't again, like because the first film they're showing you this, like, hauntingly beautiful like hypnosis happening to Helen. And then in this one, he's like sitting at a large dinner table with her and like colleagues and like being really weird. And then for some reason there's like a news, uh, the news is on at this like fancy restaurant that they're at and like announces the death of the art critic. And he just like fucking runs out of there. And I'm just like, what was like, that was so weird. And, and again, it's like, you know, is that uncharacteristic of, of who he is and therefore like really concerning behavior. And that's like, what is drawing her to go there. But like between that and then like his poor explanation of, of his art, which was also like pretty disturbing looking. And like, if she had no idea that that's, that it, that the art even escalated from like the original piece that he did with the mirror and the things behind the mirror to like these like really visceral and almost like deformed looking pieces of art that were like very gory of, of all of the previous like victims of police brutality. Like I'm sure that was like incredibly shocking and, and concerning to her. So like, you know, it's hard when you have all this like evidence and then someone trying to make the like counterpoint against all of the like, things laid out in front of her to, to give him that space to be like, I'm here for you. Like I, I imagine just a lot of fear um, based on her past trauma, based on everything that's happening in that moment. And like just wanting to get away and be safe. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they like, weird. I mean, it also then made no sense, but I'm glad they had like that weird reprieve where she's like with her brother. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just decompressing. I will mm-hmm. say something that I I liked and we haven't talked about were the little uh, paper dolls that are telling the story in. Oh, that was oh awesome. Oh my God. Yeah. That was like the best part. Yeah. I thought that was really clever and I don't know exactly what it added, but I just liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. Exactly why I liked it, but I just was feeling the aesthetic and I thought it fit and I appreciated it. Yeah. Mm-hmm having those little figures just look exactly like it and it's just black and white and you just silhouettes of things. It was just really cool to see. Mm-hmm. So, um, should we do Rotten Tomatoes? Yes. Yes. It's the Rotten Tomatoes game. <laughs> All right. Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think this uh, has on Rotten Tomatoes percent-wise? I'm going to say 67 is 
my brain. I know, but that was okay. What was in my brain was 68. Work. <laughs> I was like, how did you do that? I was shocked that you got one number off from what I was thinking. Cancers. We're in tune. <laughs> um, so this has a, this has an 84%. Oh, wow. Um, uh, Candyman takes an incisive, visually thrilling approach to deepening the franchise's mythology and terrifying audiences along the way. And then the, oh, they have a new thing called the audience says the uh-huh. audience, the audience score is 73%. So lower. And they say the 2021 Candyman may not be as scary as the original, but it expands the story in ways that fans of the franchise should enjoy. Okay. Um, and let's also remember that the first one has a Rotten Tomato score of 77 and the critics consensus talks about how it sacrifices some mystery in the name of gore, um, but it's nuanced, effectively chilling take that benefits from an interesting premise and some fine performances. Um, interesting. Hmm. Interesting. But so that's the Rotten <laughs> Tomatoes. Uh, should we uh, do the four S's? Yes. yes. <laughs> Okay, so we have the four S's, which are, they are um, skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Skulls, which we'll start with first, is how it handles uh, mental health as well as human behavior. Then scares is how scary was it, jump scares, or just like tone overall then we have shakes um how how will it will this stick with you and then suggestions uh what would you suggest based on this movie so let's start with skulls um uh jamie let's go with you 4.5 i'm like torn i was like thinking five and then i mean we didn't even really talk about like the laundromat guy and like how he has been impacted by all this which like clearly not very well um, but you're gonna I guess like person who killed your sister, you're not doing well. <laughs> yeah. I think like based on how they like kind of explore some things, but like then also drop the ball in a lot of ways. I'm going to say like yeah. a 4.5. I'm going to be okay. nice. Yeah. Also, first of all, Coleman Domingo who plays laundromat guy is a spectacular actor and I will watch yes. him in anything. Same. How, However, like, was he avenging his sister? Was he just trying to get the Candyman to keep going? I, 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 I'm a little confused by that as well. And how did he get the razor blades in the candy? That's what I want to know. So, oh, you think it was the little kid who put the razor blades in the candy? No, I'm talking about Coleman as a grown man because he pulled out the lollipop and it had the razor in it and he put it in his mouth and that's why it was bleeding at the mm. end of <laughs> oh oh i understand i understand what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. well the candy man can yikes <laughs> yeah does he melt them and then remold them that's what i'm like Maybe. that's a lot of effort and then you got to wrap them up again <clears throat> i mean if you got trauma you know uh nikisha what do you what do you give it a solid three okay uh i'm gonna go with i'll go with a four i think it's trying doesn't really execute the the best but um that's eh, fine <laughs> Uh, scares, scares <laughs> one <laughs> for me. Sorry. Yeah. I'll get, I'll give it like a two. Cause I think I, I think I, you know, 
popped up once in my seat and I was like, Oh wait, no, this isn't scary. Yeah. I'll give I'm going to give this a one as well. I was never this. I think maybe once when I saw him in the mirror, the first time I was like, Oh, there he is. And then after that, I was like, Oh, that's CG. Um, <laughs> all right. Shakes. Yeah. Are you going to shake this movie off? Is it memorable? Is it not memorable? What are your thoughts? I think I already forgot a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like a a two. Sure. Two as well for me. Great. Um, yeah, I'll probably go with a two as well. Um for the same reasons. All right. Uh suggestions. What have what have you got? If you want social satire moments, things, just watch Get Out. And if you want yeah. to just watch Get Out because it's like ev- <laughs> I appreciate people wanting to say the things that need to be said and they need to be said. But this was just too forced for me. Mm. The general, the general message or not forced. It just didn't work for me. The message that was a great message just didn't work. Just watch get out and you'll get the same kind of commentary, but better. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like really struggling with, you know, coming up with like anything. Normally I got like this one, that one, the other one. I think I agree with Nikisha in terms of like, if you want like a horror movie that does a better job with (laughs) social commentary, like watch get out. If you want like a slasher movie that, you know, is really effective in being a slasher movie, watch like any of the other, you know, 90s slasher, like watch the original, you know, I don't know. It's really hard to like think of anything kind of related that isn't already just adjacent to the original one. Um, So, yeah, but like this is a situation where you got to like pick and choose, like, do you want a slasher? Do you want, do you want it to like address, you know, real issues right because you, you can't really have both you can't have both <laughs> uh i'm going to say Candyman farewell to the flesh i have never seen it it's not supposed to be good um but i'm very into these ideas of like like different like ignoring these two movies and just making a sequel there like I don't know if you want, if you didn't like this movie and you want to go in a different way, watch the one from 95. If you like this one, stick with this one. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go with that. Um, I'm very anti you picking movies that you haven't actually seen. I mean, then, then watch us like, or, (laughs) or like wait for Nope. Yeah. And we're going to have high expectations for that as well. Yeah. I mean, the absolute, that one's going to be through the roof for sure. Or um, um, what was the, uh, oh gosh, Tessa Thompson. And it was more, it wasn't um, a, a horror movie, but the social commentary was. Sorry to bother you. Oh my God. What a, what a wild. <laughs> it's a wild ride, but if you want some knee deep capitalism, like shit. Talk about going all in. <laughs> I Yes, all in. So watch that. <coughs> cool. Cool. Well, that wraps up our episode on Candyman 
that was a lot. Got- How many times do we say it? Oh, wait. One interesting thing that I learned yeah. uh, is that apparently for like the OG one, um, you were supposed to say his name 13 times. What? Yeah. So, you know, keep that in mind when you can't count up to five. <laughs> Yikes. Just 13 times. Also, well, just more the- suggestion, like for everyone to be scared. Yes. <laughs> this is what I... I- I, I kind of like, I didn't do the best job at this. At um, counting? Yeah, but apparently Nikisha said it 15-ish times. Oh, so you, you're, you're definitely. Um, I said it 10 times, and I did include when I said uh, candy men, because I said that, I think, twice. Maybe I did count that. I don't remember, because that doesn't <laughs> count. Um, and then, uh, according to this, Jamie only said it four times, so she's alive. Wow. I'm like super alive. She survived. Yeah, I don't know. Woo. I'm the final girl. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. This has been the new 2021 C man. <laughs> A thousand times. You can. Wow. I was like, what am I looking at? So, <laughs> Guys, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter at Talk Horror Pod P O D. Let us know if you're listening. Also, shout out to the people who've texted asking when is the next season coming because it has become a part of their routine to listen <laughs> to us every Thursday, which is really exciting. Woohoo! Speaking of Brian, where can they listen to us? Sure, wherever you get podcasts, check it out there, like Spotify, like Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, please rate and review us. Five stars, please. And thank thank you. And we're signing off with a quote that I wrote down because I thought it was hilarious. And it's probably not, but I love it anyway. But Moscato is a dessert wine, according to the brother. (laughs) Because he's complaining. (laughs) And then Anthony's like, well, there's some Moscato in the fridge. And he turns with his Billy Porter gaze and says, <laughs> God, it was a dessert wine. And then walk. And I was like, this is great. This is the horror movie that I've been waiting so long to see. <laughs> All good things. Well, guys, until next time. Thanks until for Until next time. Biz, busy, biz, buzz, buzz. Biz, buzz. Buzz. <laughs>